Welcome to God's Messenger Lighthouse Podcast. This is your host, Brother Scott Messenger, bringing you Chapter 9, From the Hiding Place, the triumphant true story of Corey Temboom with John and Elizabeth Sherl. Chapter 9, The Raid. At the sound of someone in my room, I opened my eyes painfully. It was Yusi carrying up his bedding and night clothes to store in the secret room. Behind him came Mary and Thea with their bundles. I shut my eyes again. It was the morning of February 28, 1944. For two days I had been in bed with influenza. My head throbbed. My joints were on fire. Every little sound, Mary's wheeze, the scrape of the secret panel, made me want to shriek. I heard Hank and Mitta come in, then Yusi's laugh as he handed the day things out to the others through the low, low door. Go away, all of you. Leave me alone. I bit my lip to keep from saying it. At last, they collected their clothes and belongings and trooped out, closing the door behind them. Where was Leandert? Why hadn't he come up? Then I remembered that Leandert was away for a few days, setting up electrical warning systems like ours in several of our uh, host homes. I drifted back into a feverish sleep. The next thing I knew, Betsy was standing at the foot of the bed, a steaming cup of herb tea in her hand. I'm sorry to wake you, Corey, but there's a man down in the shop who insists he will talk only to you. Who is he? He says his name is Ermello. I've never seen him before. I sat up shakily. That's all right. I have to get up anyway. Tomorrow the new ration cards come. I sipped the scolding tea, then struggled to my feet. There by the bed lay my prison bag, packed and ready as it had been since the summons from the chief of police. In fact, I'd been adding to it. Besides the Bible, clothing, and toilet things, it now held vitamins, aspirins, iron pills for Betsy's anemia, and much else. It had become a kind of talisman for me, a safeguard against the terrors of prison. I got slowly into my clothes and stepped out onto the landing. The house seemed to reel around me. I crept down, clinging to the handrail. At the door of Tante Jan's rooms, I was surprised to hear voices. I looked in. Of course, I'd forgotten it was Wednesday morning. People were gathering for Willem's weekly service. I saw Newly passing around occupation coffee, as we called the current brew of roots and dried figs. Peter was already at the piano, as he was most weeks to provide the music. I continued down around the stairs, passing new arrivals streaming up. As I arrived, Wobbleneed, in the shop, a small, sandy-haired man sprang forward to meet me. Miss Tenboom! Yes? There was an old Dutch expression. You can tell a man by the way he meets your eyes. This man seemed to concentrate somewhere between my nose and my chin. Is it about a watch? I asked. 
No, Miss Tenboom, something far more serious. His eyes seem to make a circle around my face. My wife has just been arrested. We've been hiding Jews, you see. If she is questioned, all of our lives are in danger. I don't know how I can help, I said. I need six hundred uh, guilders. There's a policeman in the station in Ermillo who can be bribed for that amount. I'm a poor man, and I've been told that you have certain contacts. Contacts? Miss Tenboom, it's a matter of life and death. If I don't get it right away, she'll be taken to Amsterdam, and then it will be too late. Something about the man's behavior made me hesitate, and yet how could I risk being wrong? Come back in half an hour. I'll have the money, I said. For the first time, the man's eyes met mine. I'll never forget this, he said. The amount was more than we had at the Bayet, so I sent Tuis to the bank with instructions to hand the man the money, but not to volunteer any information. Then I struggled back up the stairs, where ten, uh, ten minutes earlier I'd been burning with fever, now I was shaking with cold. I stopped at Tante Jan's rooms just long enough to take a briefcase of papers from the desk. Then, with apologies to Willem and the others, I continued to my room. I undressed again, refilled the vaporizer where it was hissing on its small spirit stove, and climbed back into bed. For a while, I tried to concentrate on the names and addresses in the briefcase. Five cards needed this month in Zandervoort, not none in Oversven. We would need eighteen in the flu roared behind my eyes. The paper swam in front of me. The briefcase slipped from my hand, and I was asleep. In my fever dream, a buzzer kept ringing. On and on it went. Why wouldn't it stop? Feet were running, voices whispering, hurry, hurry. I sat bolt upright. People were running past my bed. I turned just in time to see Thea's heels disappear through the low door. Meta was behind her, then Hank. But I hadn't planned a drill for today. Who in the world, unless, unless it wasn't a drill? Yusi dashed past me, white-faced, his pipe rattling in the ashtray that he carried in shaking hands and at last it penetrated my numbed brain that the emergency had come. One, two, three people already in the secret room. Four, as Yusi's black shoes and scarlet socks disappeared. But Mary, where was Mary? The old woman appeared in the bedroom door, mouth open, gasping for air. I sprang from my bed and half pulled, half shoved her across the room. I was sliding the secret panel down behind her, when a slim, white-haired man burst into the room. I recognized him from Pickwick's Someone High in the National Resistance. I had no idea he was in the house. He dived after Mary. Five, six. Yes, that was right with Lynn dirt away. The man's legs vanished, and I dropped the panel down and leapt back into bed. Below, I heard door slamming, heavy footsteps on the stairs, but it was... Another sound that turned my blood to water. The strangling 
granting rasp of Mary's breathing. Lord Jesus, I prayed, you have the power to heal. Heal Mary now. And then my eyes fell on the briefcase, stuffed with names and addresses. I snatched it up, yanked up the sliding door again, flung the case inside, shoved the door down, and pushed my prison bag up against it. I had just reached the bed again when the bedroom door flew open. What's your name? I sat up slowly. I hoped sleepily. What? Your name? Cornelia Tenboom. The man was tall and heavyset with a strange, pale face. He wore an ordinary blue business suit. He turned and shouted down the stairs, We've got one more up here, Willem C. He turned back to me, Get up, get dressed. As I crawled out from under the covers, the man took a slip of paper from his pocket and consulted it. So, you're the ringleader. He looked at me with new interest. Tell me now. Where are you hiding the Jews? I don't know what you're talking about. The man laughed. You don't know anything about an underground ring either? We'll see about that. He had taken his eyes off me, so I began to pull on my clothes over my pajamas, ears straining for a sound from the secret room. Let me see your papers. I pulled out the little sack that I wore around my neck. When I looked, took out my unidentification folder, a roll of bills fell out with it. The man stooped, snatched up the money from the floor, and stuffed it into his pocket. Then he took my papers and looked at them. For a moment, the room was silent. Mary Italy's wheeze. Why wasn't I hearing it? The man threw the papers back at me. Hurry up! But he was not in... Half the hurry I was to get away from that room. I buttoned my sweater all wrong in my haste and stuffed my feet into my shoes without bothering to tie them. Then I was about to reach for my prison bag. Wait. It stood where I had shoved it in my uh, panic, directly in front of the secret panel. If I were to reach down under the shelf to get it now... With this man watching my every move, might not his attention be attracted to that last place on earth I wanted him to look? It was the hardest thing I had ever done to turn and walk out of that room, leaving the bag behind. I stumbled down the stairs, my knees shaking as much from fear as from flu. A uniformed soldier was stationed in front of Tante Jan's rooms. The door was shut. I wondered if the prayer meeting had ended, if Willem and Newley and Peter had got away, or were they all still in there? How many innocent people might be involved? The man behind me gave me a little push, and I hurried on down the stairs to the dining room. Father, Betsy, and Tuss were sitting on chairs pulled back against the wall. Beside them sat three underground workers who must have arrived since I had gone upstairs. On the floor beneath the window, broken in three pieces, lay the Alpina sign. Someone had managed to knock it from the sill. A second Gestapo agent in plain clothes was pawing eagerly through a pile of silver uh, ridges ladders and jewelry heaped on the dining room table. It was the couch 
from the space between the corner cupboard. It had been indeed the first place they looked. Here's the other one listed at the address, said the man who had brought me down. My information says she's the leader of the whole outfit. The man at the table, the one called Willemsey, glanced at me, then turned back to the loot in front of him. You know what to do, Captain. Captain seized me by the elbow and shoved me ahead of him down the remaining five steps and into the rear of the shop. Another soldier in uniform stood guard just inside the, that do this door. Captain prodded me through to the front room and pushed me against the wall. Where are the Jews? There aren't any Jews here. The man struck me hard across the face. Where do you hide the ration cards? I don't know what your... Caterpillar hit me again. I staggered up against the astronomical clock. Before I could recover, he slapped me again, then again, and again, sitting, stinging blows that jerked me head, my head backward. Where are the Jews? Another blow. Where is your secret room? I tasted blood in my mouth. My head spun. My ears rang. I was losing consciousness. Lord Jesus, I cried out, protect me. Captain Hand stopped in midair. If you say that name again, I'll kill you. But instead, his arm slowly dropped to his side. If you won't talk, that skinny one will. I stumbled ahead of him up the stairs. He pushed me into one of the chairs against the dining room wall. Through a blur, I saw him lead Betsy from the room. Above us, hammer blows and splintering wood showed where a squad of trained searchers was probing uh, for the secret room. Then down in the alley, the doorbell rang. But the sign, didn't they see the Alpina sign, was gone, and I glanced at the window and caught my breath. There on the sill, the broken pieces fitted carefully together, sat the wooden triangle. Too late, I looked up to see Willensey staring intently at me. I thought so, he said. It was a signal, wasn't it? He ran down the stairs. Above us, the hammering and the tramp of boots had stopped. I heard the alley door open, and Willis's voice, smooth and irradiating. Come in, won't you? Have you heard? A woman's voice. They've got Owen Herman. Pickwick? Not Pickwick. Oh, I heard Williamson say. Who was with him? He pumped her as hard as he could, then placed her under arrest. Blinking with fright and confusion, the woman was seated with us along the wall. I recognized her only as a person who occasionally took messages for us about the city. I stared in anguish at the sign in the window announcing to the world that all was as usual in the Bayet. Our room had been turned into a trap. How many more would fall into it before this day was over? And Pickwick, had they really caught Pickwick? Captain appeared with Betsy in the dining room door. Her lips were swollen and puffy. A bruise was darkening on her cheek. She half fell into the chair next to mine. Oh, Betsy, he hurt you. Yes, she dabbed at the blood on her mouth. I feel so sorry for him. Captain whirled. 
his white face even paler. Prisoners will remain silent, he shrieked. Two men were clumping down the stairs and into the dining room, carrying something between them. They had discovered the old radio beneath the stairs. Law-abiding citizens, are you? Habitin went on. You, the old man there. I see you believe in the Bible. He jerked his thumb as at the well-worn book on the, its shelf. Tell me, what does it say in there about obeying the government? Fear God, Father quoted, and on his lips in that room the words came as blessing and reassurance. Fear God and honor the, the queen. Capitan stared at him. It doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't say that. No, Father admitted. It says, Fear God, honor the king. But in our uh, case, this is, that is the queen. It's not king or queen, roared Capitan. We're, legal, we're the legal government now, and you're all lawbreakers. The doorbell rang again. Again, there were the questions and the arrest. The young man, one of our workers, had barely been assigned a chair when again the bell sounded. It seemed to me that we had never had so many callers. The dining room was getting crowded. I felt sorriest for those who had come simply on social visits. An elderly, retired missionary was brought in, jaw quivering with fear. At last, from the banging and thumping above, they had not yet discovered the secret room. A new sound made me jump. The phone down in the hall was ringing. That's a telephone, cried William C. He glared around the room, then grabbing me by the wrist, yanked me down the stairs behind him. He thrust the receiver up against my ear, but kept his own hand on it. Answer, he said with his lips. This is the Tenboon residence and shop, I said as stiffly as I dared. But the person on the other end did not catch the strangeness. Miss Tenboom, you're in terrible danger. They've arrested Herman Slurring. They know everything. You've got to be careful. On and on, the woman's voice babbled, the man at my side hearing everything. She had secret, uh, scarcely hung up when the phone rang again, a man's voice, and again the message. Om Herman's been taken to the police station. That mean, means they're on to everything. At last, the third time I repeated my formal and untypical little greeting, there was a click on the other end. Willemsey snatched the earpiece from my hand. Hello? Hello? He shouted. He jiggled the cradle on the wall. The line had gone dead. He shoved me back up the stairs and into my chair again. Our friends wised up, he told Capitan, but I heard enough. Apparently, Betsy had received permission to leave her chair. She was slicing bread at the cupboard. Um, I was at the sideboard. I was surprised to realize it was already lunchtime. Betsy passed the bread around the room, but I shook my head. The fever was raging again. My throat ached and my head throbbed. A man appeared in the doorway. We've searched the whole place, Willem C., he said. If there's a secret room here, the devil himself built it. Willem C. looked from Betsy to father to me. 
There's a secret room, he said quietly, and people are using it, or they would have admitted it. All right, we'll set a guard around the house till they've turned to mummies. In the harsh hush of horror which followed, there was a gentle pressure on my knees. Meher Shalal Hashbaz had jumped up into my lap to rub against me. I stroked the shining black fur. What would become of him now? I would not let myself think about the six people upstairs. I had been half an hour since it had been half an hour since the doorbell had rang, rung last. Whoever had caught my message over the phone must have spread the alarm. Word was out. No one else would walk into the trap at the bay. Apparently, Willemsey had come to the same conclusion because abruptly he ordered us on our feet and down to the hallway with our coats and hats. Father, Betsy, and me, he held in the dining room till last. In front of us, down the stairs, came the people from Tante Jan's rooms. I held my breath, scanning them. Apparently, most of those at the prayer service had left before the raid, but by no means all. Here came Newly, behind her, Peter. Last in the line came Willem. The whole family, then. Father, all four of us, children, one grandchild. Captain gave me a shove. Get moving. Father took his tall hat from the wall peg. Outside the dining room door, he paused to pull up the weights on the old Frisian clock. We mustn't let the clock run down, he said. Father, did you really think we would be back home when next the ch uh, chain ran out? The snow had gone from the streets. Puddles of dirty water stood in the gutters as we, as we marched through the alley and into the Simmonstrat. The walk took only a minute, but by the time we got outside or inside the double doors of the police station, I was shaking with cold. I looked anxiously around the foyer for Ralph and the others we knew, but saw no one. A contingent uh, of German soldiers seemed to be supplementing the regular police force. We were herded along a corridor and through the heavy metal door where I had last seen Harry de Vries. At the end of this hall was a large room that had obviously been a gymnasium. Windows high in the walls were covered with wire mesh. Rings and basketball hoops were roped to the ceiling. Now a desk stood in the center of the room with a German army officer seated behind it. Trembling, their tumbling mats had been spread out to cover part of the floor, and I collapsed onto one of them. For two hours, the officer took down names, addresses, and other statistics. I counted those who had been arrested with us. Thirty-five people from the raid on the Bayet. People from previous arrests were sitting or lying about on the mats, too. Some of them, their, them uh, faces we knew. I looked for Pickwick, 
but he was not among them. One of them, a fellow watchmaker, who often came to the Bay A.M. business, seemed especially distressed at what had happened to us. He came and sat down beside Father and me. At last, the officer left. For the first time, since the alarm buzzer sounded, we could talk among ourselves. I struggled to sit up. Quick, I croaked. We've got to agree on what to say. Most of us can simply tell the truth, but... My voice died in my throat. It seemed to my flu addled brain that Peter was giving me the most ferocious frown I had ever seen. But if they learn that Uncle Willem was teaching this morning from the Old Testament, it could make trouble for him, Peter finished for me. He jerked his head to one side, and I clambered unsteadily to my feet. Tente Cori, he hissed when we were on the other side of the room. That man, the watchmaker, he's a Gestapo plant. He patted my head as though I were a sick child. Lie down again, Tante Cory. Just for heaven's sake, don't do any talking. I was waked by the heavy door of the gym slamming open. In strode Ralph. Let's have it quiet in here, he shouted. He leaned close to Willem and said something I could not hear. Toilets are out back, he continued in a loud voice. You can go one at a time under escort. Willem sat down beside me. He says we can finish incriminating papers if we shred them fine enough. I fumbled through my coat pockets. There were several scraps of paper and a billfold containing a few paper solders. I went over each item, trying to think how I would explain it in a court process. Beside the row of outdoor toilets was a basin with a tin cup on a chain. Gratefully, I took a long drink, the first since the tea Betsy had brought me that morning. Toward evening, a policeman carried into the the gym, a large basket of fresh hot rolls. I could not swallow mine. Only the water tasted good to me, though I grew embarrassed at asking again and again to be taken outside. When I got back the last time, a group had gathered around Father for evening prayers. Every day of my life had ended like this. That deep, steady voice, that sure and eager confiding of us, all to the care of God. The Bible lay at home on its shelf, but much of it was stored in my heart. His blue eyes seemed to be seeing beyond the locked and crowded room, beyond Harlem, beyond earth itself, as he quoted from memory, Thou art my hiding place and my shield. I hope in thy word. Hold thou me up, and I shall be safe. None of us slept much. Each time someone left the room, he had to step over a dozen others. At la last, light crept through the high, screened windows at the top of the room. The police again brought rolls. As the long morning wore on, I dozed with my back up against the wall. The worst pain now seemed to be in my chest. It was noon when soldiers entered the room and ordered us on our feet. Hastily, we struggled into our coats 
and filed against again through the cold corridors in the Smudret, a wall of people pressed against police barricades set across the street as Betsy and I stepped out with Father between us. A murmur of horror greeted the sight of Harlem's grand old man being led to prison. In front of the door stood a green city bus with soldiers occupying the rear seats. People were climbing aboard while friends and relatives in the crowd wept or simply stared. Betsy and I gripped Father's arms to start down the steps. Then we froze, stumbling past us between two soldiers, hatless and coatless, came Pickwick. The top of his bald head was a welter of bruises. Dried blood clung to the stubble on his chin. He did not look up as he was hauled onto the bus. Father, Betsy, and I squeezed into a double seat near the front. Through the window I caught a glimpse of Tinnate standing in the crowd. It was one of those radiant winter days when the air seemed to shimmer with light. The bus sh shuddered and started up. Police cleared a path and we inched forward. I gazed hungrily at the window, holding onto Harlem with my eyes. Now we were crossing the Grotte Marts, the walls of the great cathedral glowing a thousand shades of gray in the crystal light. In a strange way, it seemed to me that I had lived through this moment before. Then I recalled the vision, the night of the invasion. I had seen it all. Willem, Newley, Pickwick, Peter, all of us here, drawn against our wills across the square. It had all been in the dream, all of us leaving Harlem, Unable to turn back. Going where? And that is the end of chapter 9. Next time, join me for chapter 10. Sh Shovenjin.